Welcome to Policy for the People, a show that explores the public policies that can lift up all Oregonians. This show is a collaboration between KMUZ Radio and the Oregon Center for Public Policy. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ordonez. Let's say you had $2 billion. How would you spend it to make Oregon a better place? Would you build homes for the houseless? Would you take on climate change before it's too late? Would you fix crumbling bridges that will collapse when the big one hits? Would you send every Oregonian an equal check, like the pandemic stimulus payments? Or would you use the money to send a huge check to the rich, while the lowest paid Oregonians, those who could really use some cash to pay the bills, get chump change? That last option, sending enormous checks to the rich, is how Oregon actually spent $2 billion this year. Oregon gave a big tax rebate to the rich because the economy did better than what state economists predicted two years ago. It's a policy called the kicker. Today on Policy for the People, we are discussing Oregon's oddball kicker law. I'm going to be speaking with my colleague Daniel Hauser, the Oregon Center for Public Policy's Director of Strategic Policy Projects, about what's wrong with the kicker and whether there are ways to reform it to make it work better for all Oregonians. But first, I'm going to play excerpts of my conversation with Mark McMullen, Oregon State Economist. Mark leads the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis. And every quarter, the Office of Economic Analysis produces the Oregon Economic and Revenue Forecast, which provides a detailed assessment of how Oregon's economy is doing and the pace of tax collections. The forecast also makes its best attempt at predicting how the economy will do a few years from now. This information helps Oregon lawmakers develop a budget for the state. The forecast provides a baseline for how much the state will have to spend on education, healthcare, and all other vital services. A few weeks ago, the Office of Economic Analysis released its most recent forecast. In it, McMullen and his team say that a new kicker appears to be on its way. A record-shattering kicker. I began my conversation with McMullen by asking him what was the main takeaway from the latest Oregon economic forecast. This is what he said. Well, the economy is doing fine for now. Consumers are still spending and households and, and businesses. Balance sheets are still healthy. Households have a little cushion for the most part, and, and businesses are still seeing sales pretty high. Although the economic outlook is, is still doing well and the economy is still performing well for now, although there's a lot more pessimism out there. Uh, the revenues uh, that came in during the tax season were unprecedented in Oregon and all other uh, income tax states. We saw uh, collections that uh, dwarfed anything in the past. For us, it was uh, 70% higher than what we saw last year. Surging tax collections would have seemed unimaginable two years ago as Oregon and the nation were in an economic freefall following the start of the pandemic. But then again, much of what we have seen in the economic realm since the start of the pandemic has been surprising. This has been a, certainly a unique business cycle on a, all sorts of uh, measures. And in particular, even though we had thousands of job losses, tens of thousands of job losses that came immediately after the pandemic, we didn't see income go down. In fact, we saw income and spending on durable goods well outstrip our pre-pandemic expectations. Even the lowest quintile, the lowest 20% of income households saw their wealth go up by 15% uh, or so uh, during this uh, pandemic. And a lot of that had to do with 
uh, the federal aid. The other, the other big portion was the fact that we were forced to save. Uh, for many households that didn't, that weren't in front-facing industries, that, that didn't lose their jobs as a result of the pandemic, and were able to work from home or be flexible, uh, those households continued to earn money, but yet didn't spend it as we were trapped in our houses, couldn't go to the ball games or on vacation or the like. And so this created a lot of pent-up demand, and a lot of that was satisfied by spending on durable goods. And so now we're seeing uh, the fallout from that in terms of these overloaded supply chains and the inflationary pressure and the like. Of course, not everyone came into the recession facing the same level of economic risk. We have in our state and nation vast economic disparities. Because of our nation's long history of economic oppression and exclusion, people of color are far more likely to fare worse economically. There are also big geographical disparities. Rural Oregonians tend to have much lower incomes than urban folks. So, in what counts as good news, over the course of the economic collapse triggered by the pandemic and the quick rebound that followed, these disparities did not get worse. Here is how McMullen put it. For a lot of the disparities that usually widened during recessions didn't this time. So there, are, there is a good news side of it in terms of uh, race and ethnicity, in terms of gender, in terms of rural-urban split. We didn't really see these uh, disparities widen. It was an equal opportunity uh, recession in terms of, you know, every, there was such a sharp job loss across, across regions and across different uh, folks. And we're in a tight labor market has, has really helped in terms of that. In terms of the urban-rural split, it's been pretty clear. Uh, for one thing, our rural areas depend more heavily on transfer payments, and you mentioned all the large federal uh, spending that we saw. And on the other hand, uh, large urban areas across the country have lagged in this recession rather than led like they usually do in terms of recoveries. Insofar as they're exposed to uh, downtown commuter traffic, in, in the past, you know, these downtown areas had an army of workers driving in every day, and then they go there and they buy lunch and coffee and maybe an anniversary present, some gas, and go home. And all of that, a lot of that activity has gone out of the urban, urban core. And so it, it's kept our larger metropolitan areas relatively weak. While people of color and rural Oregonians haven't fallen further behind during the pandemic years, according to the Office of Economic Analysis, some forms of inequality have gotten worse. There are two big disparities that have widened uh, during this recession and recovery. Now, obviously, uh, in terms of wealth, uh, we have a very uh, unequal distribution. So we still got that as, as we went through this pandemic, we saw a widening of those disparities. Although uh, we've seen increases of wealth across the income distribution, wealth is so concentrated at the, at the top end uh, that uh, we've, we've seen uh, widening there. And in particular, this recession, unlike most, we've seen uh, no real dent in equity markets and asset markets and, and housing doesn't always fall, but uh, corporate profits tend to and business sales tend to. And these things are very volatile, you know? And so last recession, we saw the stock market and corporate profits drop by more than 50%. This time they kept on growing. And when you're looking at the top end individuals, they have these broad portfolios. And when, as you go down the income distribution, most of the wealth is contained in, in uh, home equity and the like. And so this widened this disparity in terms, of, in terms of wealth. And the other place we saw a widening in disparity 
was with uh, educational attainment, where uh, so far in terms of uh, folks with with uh, college degrees and, and some college have all, you know, seen their labor force participation and their employment rates go back to normal. Where we haven't seen that or are for our folks with lower levels of educational attainment, uh, high school or less, uh, where we haven't come back. And that's because a lot of uh, those folks uh, have jobs in, you know, front-facing leisure and hospitality and service industries and the like that uh, have been hardest hit by the by the pandemic and where there are more concerns about returning to work. And so we've seen uh, disparities there as well. My conversation with the Oregon State Economist also explored the reasons for why tax collections are coming in so strong. This is really being driven by uh, high-income households for the most part. And uh, uh, investment and business forms of income have boomed. Now, for in terms of tax purposes, uh, the filers don't always realize for tax purposes income when it's earned. So if you've owned a stock for 10 years and it's, it's continued to appreciate and you cash it in on one day, that's when, it, that's when we, have, uh, we see the revenues and the collections. So there's a lot of taxpayer behavior going on. Uh, at the end of 2021 was a, a great time to cash in, and we saw it across the country. A lot of people were concerned about uh, equity markets and business sales going forward. Their their business valuations were extremely high, and so a lot of people cashed in on, on that. Of course, a, a lot of housing was out there, and also people were concerned uh, when we speak to our accountants about uh, potential tax increases at the federal level, some unwinding of some of the uh, federal uh, tax cuts that were done in the past, particularly capital gains and the like. And so we saw an extreme uh, surge in these non-wage kinds of income sources and capital gains being the biggest of them all. And so uh, we saw a $7 billion increase in capital gains from a record. We were already at a record of about $10 billion last year and we got $7 billion more this year to uh, about $17 billion in capital gains realization. The much higher than expected revenue collections mean that a new kicker rebate is brewing, a kicker that would be paid out in the year 2024. Here is McMullen explaining how the kicker works and how often it tends to kick. The way the kicker law works is that uh, in uh, odd Odd-numbered years, when the session, when the legislature is in its full session and building the budget, we put out a forecast for that two-year budget period, and so uh, that sets the bar. And then two years later, we see uh, where actual revenues fell in uh, relative to our forecast. And so, if those revenues come in two uh, percent or above, uh, more than two percent above what our uh, prior forecast is. All of the excess, including the 2%, is refunded to uh, personal income taxpayers. So the base of this isn't just personal income tax. We're looking at everything in the general fund other than corporate taxes uh, for the base of this kicker calculation. So that puts in uh, you know, some cigarette tax money, estate taxes, uh, you know, corporate uh, or rather uh, court fines and fees and all, all sorts of other cats and dogs that are thrown in there with the personal income tax. But that's the biggest piece. And so after that, uh, after we, we close the biennium, uh, if we were above, then that goes out as a, as a credit on the tax uh, returns as it did this year. 
There have only been uh, two times in history uh, when we have hit uh, the sweet spot insofar as uh, we didn't undercount revenues so that the legislators and policymakers didn't end up with a deficit at the end, which we typically do during recessions, and we didn't overshoot the 2%. And that happened once in the early 90s and once early in my tenure uh, in the early 2010s. And they were both the same sort of situation. When we were coming out of a recession, we were in a slow growth scenario and uh, the, the economy basically hit the forecast rather than the forecast hitting the economy. So how big a kicker are we potentially staring at? And who would get how much in kicker rebates? Right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. We still have another tax season to go and uh, still don't know what the full base is yet. Uh, and so I don't like to put out a lot of numbers yet, but this is going to be about 50% bigger than the last one. So on a whole, a $3 billion uh, refund insofar as the kicker goes out in the same way it came in. And so given that the highest income Oregonians are responsible for the vast amount of tax payments, uh, they also get vastly larger tax credits. We haven't finalized anything. We're not even close to finalizing anything on the new kicker, but uh, what we're penciling out right now was that a median filer, so the 50th percentile filer would get about a $637 uh, credit uh, in 2024, while the top 1%, uh, that would be north of $25,000. So uh, really extreme differences in, in, the, in the amount, the size of the credits, uh, commensurate with the big differences in the amount that was paid in. We're taking this short break to invite you to subscribe to our show for free. Follow Policy for the People on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, give us a rating. It really helps others find the show. And now, back to the show. If you're just joining us, there was a recording of my conversation with Mark McMullen, the Oregon State Economist. He was describing the findings of the latest Oregon economic and revenue forecast. And now I will share my conversation with my colleague, Daniel Hauser, the Oregon Center for Public Policy's Director of Strategic Projects. We discuss what's wrong with the kicker and whether there are ways to make the kicker better for all Oregonians. Well, hi, Daniel. How are you today? I'm good, Juan Carlos. Thanks for having me on. Daniel, as Mark McMullen observed, wealth inequality has increased since the pandemic began. Can you fill us in on the bigger picture of wealth inequality in our state. How vast is wealth inequality in Oregon? Sure, but let me back up first and talk about the difference between income and wealth inequality, right? Income is how much you earn in a year. For most people, that's your paycheck. Some people may have income from a business or a pension as other examples. And by contrast, wealth refers to the sum of all the assets you own. These are the houses, businesses, stocks, bonds. For some Oregonians, works of art, minus all of your debts. Now, income inequality has been hovering at record levels for a number of years now. Right before the pandemic, the richest 1% of Oregonians together collected about the same amount of income as the lowest earning 54% of Oregonians. While that sounds bad, by comparison, right before the pandemic, the wealthiest 1% of Americans owned as much as did the bottom 90% of, of Americans. 
So as bad as income inequality is, wealth inequality is way worse. And as Mark noted, it has widened during the pandemic. Inequality really is one of the biggest economic problems we face as a state and a nation. And in both income and wealth inequality, there's also vast differences by race. Uh, is that not the case? That's absolutely true. Uh, we've had decades and generations of public policies put in place to make it more difficult for families of color to own assets, right? Half of the wealth equation. And also has made it easier for different lending institutions and others to extract wealth from communities of color through predatory lending and other uh, very problematic <laughs> debt instruments. And so when you really think about the fact that families of color have not been able to own homes for a big portion of our, of our history, have not been able to access mortgages, uh, and, and the list really goes on and on. And in fact, there was a wonderful report that came out recently by the Coalition of Communities of Color that really dug into wealth inequality and the racial disparities that exist there. And I'd really recommend for your listeners to, to take a peek at that great report, because I think it does a wonderful job of laying out all the ways that public policies have worsened wealth inequality for communities of color in Oregon. So we also heard that a new kicker potentially worth $3 billion is brewing. And if it comes to pass, it will be the fifth straight budget cycle that ends with a kicker. What do you make of that? Look, it's flabbergasting and frustrating and so many other words that start with F. If this kicker holds at $3 billion, it would mean kickers totaling over $6 billion will go out over a six-year period. That's the last two kickers and the one that's forecasted to come up now. And to be fair, well, there's another F word, uh, Mark and his team at the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis are skilled professionals that use the best information they have available to forecast out the economy. It's just an incredibly difficult task. As he pointed out, the kicker can be triggered by the decisions of a small number of rich people, whether or not to cash out their investments. That's not something that the state economists can accurately predict ahead of time. And if they could, they would likely be making far more money working for someone other than the state of Oregon. The kicker also asks them to predict what the global economy, the national economy, and then Oregon's own sliver of it will do in two years. They must then estimate how much Oregonians will earn in wages, how much their businesses will profit, what the stock market will do, and more. And if they miss by just like 2%, the entire amount of unanticipated revenue is no longer available to address the basic needs of Oregonians but it's instead sent out as a tax rebate. And given this exceedingly difficult task, it's no surprise that state economists have gotten it wrong most of the time since the kicker was created a few decades back. So the Oregon State Economist uh, also said that their preliminary estimates uh, show that the typical Oregonian, the Oregonian in the middle, would receive about $640. Meanwhile, the average member of the richest 1% of Oregonians would get more than $25,000. What is your reaction to that? Well, one thing that didn't get included by Mark McBullen is how the lowest earning one in five Oregonians would do. And you know we don't know what that number is for this upcoming kicker, um, but for the last one, it was $30, right? They got $30. So let's say this time it's $45, right? That's barely enough money to buy your family at Burgerville these days. And at the same time, the richest Oregonians are going to get tens of thousands of dollars in kicker cash back. The more than 25,000 Mark noted 
the top 1% would average is literally more than someone making minimum wage who works full time in Baker City would earn an entire year of work. And to make matters worse, Mark noted last year during a revenue forecast that the richest Oregonians could see kickers of more than $100,000. And that was for the last kicker, which was only 1.9 billion, let alone the more than 3 billion that's forecast to be coming up soon. So we have a policy that leaves those struggling most with maybe a meal and those doing best with enough money to put a down payment on an investment property. The kicker certainly doesn't help fix the problem of inequality and likely makes it much worse. Another problem with a kicker, it seems to me, is that it's also poorly structured as a form of economic stimulus. Let me play you a comment that Mark McMullen said when I was speaking with him regarding the marginal propensity to consume. Low-income households tend to spend uh, most, if not all, of their paychecks uh, you know, month to month. Uh, when we're talking about higher-income households, they spend some percentage of their paychecks, and then they save another percentage of their paychecks. And so when you give income to a higher income household, some of that is just going to be uh, stuffed in the mattress, as it were. And so it gives you uh, less boost to the economy. So Daniel, what are your thoughts on uh, Mark McMullen's comment? Marginal propensity to consume. That sure brings me back to college economics. What that really means is if we gave you an extra dollar, how likely are you to spend it on something rather than save or invest it? As Mark noted, richer people are more likely to save it and poorer people are very likely to spend it. This makes intuitive sense when you think about the kicker, right? Here's an unexpected bonus to your tax refund. A struggling family will use that to buy more food, pay off back rent, fix their bike, their car, etc. A rich family will save it towards the down payment on their second boat or put it in the stock market or some other use that's a little bit less uh, valuable to the local economy. This does mean a larger kicker flowing to the rich gives a smaller boost to the local economy than if it went to a working family because rich people aren't spending that extra dollar or $25,000 in this instance at their neighborhood grocery store or mechanic. It's flowing to a hedge fund in Manhattan. So is there a way to make the kicker a tool for the common good so that it serves the interests of all Oregonians? Oh, absolutely. Our current kicker is such a mess, sending the biggest rebates to the richest households. It's not hard to come up with better ways to use $3 billion. There are really two sets of good options that come to mind. First, save or use the money to address pressing social needs. For example, we can invest the billions in preparing for responding to wildfires, droughts, and other climate-related crises facing Oregon. We could replace aging schools or bridges. We could build childcare facilities and on and on. There is one quirk though that's worth thinking through. Because the money is occasional and unexpected by its very design, it's hard to use for ongoing needs, but is well suited for occasional capital investment type uh, programs. So let me give you an example. The money would work well if deployed to build new affordable housing units, perhaps ones dedicated to permanent supportive housing to help Oregonians struggling with both houselessness and substance abuse or mental health disorders have a place to call home and the services they need for a better future. The kicker would not be a great way to fund the actual services provided at those housing units. Those services need to be funded year after year and the kicker might not kick. So now how do we pay for those services, right? The bottom line here is the kicker can be a really valuable way to invest in our communities. We just need to be smart about how we do it. And what's the second set of options to better use the kicker that you mentioned? 
The other option is we can still send the kicker out to Oregonians. We just change how big of a check certain folks receive. Instead of sending the largest kickers to the richest people, we could send an equal kicker to every Oregonian. With the kicker that went out earlier this year, the median Oregonian, and that's the Oregonian if we lined everyone up that would be in the middle, received $420. Under an equal kicker, they would have received twice as much, about $850. The lowest earning one in five Oregonians, like I mentioned earlier, took home only $30 this year on average. They would have received an extra $820. This is a huge difference for families struggling to pay the bills and survive. And a policy like that would actually give the majority of Oregonians a bigger kicker than they receive today. So that seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, how could anyone be opposed to that kind of reform? I genuinely don't know. Uh, even people who believe that the kicker is necessary to keep government spending in check should support an equal kicker. Since the money would still be sent back to Oregonians and now working families instead of the super rich will get a bigger check, it makes a lot of sense to me that folks would be supportive of that across the spectrum. This concept could be further adapted to trim off the top 1% or the top 5% of taxpayers who don't need a surprise check nearly as much as working and middle-class families do. Someone making a million dollars will be just fine without an extra rebate, while that money can make such a big difference in some Oregonians' lives. And another really exciting idea would be to expand who receives the equal kicker check to folks who currently don't receive any kicker at all. So that's a point that's rarely ever gets mentioned in these discussions about the kicker, and, and that is that there are some Oregonians out there who don't receive any kicker at all. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, generally, if you don't file Oregon income taxes, you won't receive a kicker. So there are very low income families that don't make enough to be required to file Oregon income taxes. And so they don't get a kicker. And neither do Oregonians whose only income is a social security check, since that's exempt from taxation in Oregon. So the equal kicker could be designed to make it available to these folks further reaching the Oregonians who would benefit most from a kicker. And again, these are just some of the ways we can improve Oregon's constitution and fix the kicker. I'm sure there are many other brilliant ideas. So you just noted that the kicker is a provision in the constitution, in the Oregon constitution. It was put in there by voters back in the year 2000. What would it take to make a constitutional change? What would it what would have to happen for the kicker to be reformed? The bottom line is the voters would need to decide to change it at a general election. Um, my hope is that the Oregon legislature will give voters that very option in the near future that we will see lawmakers refer to the voters a constitutional amendment to fix the kicker and ensure it serves the needs of all Oregonians and doesn't just send enormous checks to the richest folks again and again. In fact, if Oregonians have ideas on how they would like to see our state better use these billions of dollars, let me know. Send a note with your ideas over to kicker at ocpp.org. That is kicker at ocpp.org and share how you think we should improve this provision in our constitution. How could we better use $3 billion? Yeah, I mean, and it seems that just because it's in the Oregon constitution, it doesn't mean that it's written in stone. I mean, if Oregonians made the decision, 20 some odd years ago to put in the kicker, we can always change our mind and look for a better policy approach, right? That's absolutely right. The kicker was not in the constitution when our state was founded. Uh, the kicker was not in our constitution when I was born. Uh, 
the kicker can be changed. Uh, it's only been a couple of decades since we made the mistake to put it in, and I think it's time for us to fix that. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you, Juan Carlos. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening to Policy for the People. We will see you next time.